millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Press Gazette editor Dominic Ponsford. Welcome to episode two of Journalism Matters. This week I'm going to be speaking to Terry White, She's the editor of the UK's top-selling film magazine, Empire, up 2% year-on-year last year to more than 140,000 copies a month. And she's a former editor of Stylist and Time Out New York. You you edit a fantastic uh, magazine about a a really interesting industry. Uh, I know you didn't just stroll into that job. You did a little bit of hard work beforehand, and I'm sure you do a lot of hard work now. Can you just give us a bit of an insight into... How you got? How you got where you are? How you got your start in journalism? Um, I'll try and give you the quick version. So, um, so after doing some work experience, I applied for a job as a PA on um, Later Magazine, which I don't know if anyone remembers it. It closed maybe ten years ago. It was like an older men's magazine. It was meant to be for people who'd grown out of Loaded. Um, I'm not sure anybody really grows out of that kind of stuff. But anyway, so I was a, I was basically a PA and an editorial assistant, and I ordered the byros. I always forgot to order the byros. I was meant to look after the editor and plan his meetings and remind him when those meetings were, and I would always forget. And he said to me one day, he was like, why do you always forget? Like, you keep getting me into loads of trouble with my boss because I'm missing all of my meetings. I was like, well, I kind of figured I want somebody to... Like make my meetings. I don't really understand why I'm making yours, which probably indicated I wasn't really suited for that job. But he gave me loads of opportunity to write, so I did all of that in my spare time. And then I just worked my way up um, to feature assistant, to be a writer, then to be a section editor. Um, and that first guy actually ended up being my mentor. And I think it's really important in what we do to find a mentor who really understands where you want to go. So I said to him, I want to be an editor before I'm 30. I'd like you to help me do that. Um, he was great. He mentored me the entire time. And then he was the person who actually made me editor of Shortlist when I was 29. So that was kind of... Um, he was really instrumental in making that happen for me. And he's still a very good friend now and somebody who will advise me if I'm thinking about... When I was thinking about coming back from New York to edit Empire, he was the person I rang up and said, am I losing my mind? Is this a great idea? What shall I do? Um, so I think going in and doing anything is, is really important. It, obviously, nobody really wants to start that way. You kind of, I envisaged kind of breezing into more magazine that was going at the time and becoming a writer, and that would be my way in. But um, it, it kind of doesn't happen. I think it's difficult these days because there's fewer and fewer kind of entry-level jobs. Um, but I think the, the advantage of these days is, you know, when, when I was a student, there was no real kind of blog culture, social media didn't really exist. 
So it was really hard to get anybody at all to read your stuff, to kind of recognise if you had a voice. It, it was just really hard to get your stuff out there at all. Um, whereas now I think it's amazing. I think the fact that you know people will tweet me their own blog or they'll tweet me something they wrote for um, a college newspaper or a website or something, the fact that you can self-publish um, I think is really exciting. Um, so I think if you can get that stuff in front of the right people... Um, and hopefully, you know, that can lead to something either, you know, a really great job straight off the bat or a foot in to be able to, to get into your kind of dream area. But I think when you start out, it's kind of not about your dream job. It's about what can I learn from the ground up? What's going to teach me the most skills? My second job was as a features assistant, a woman in home. It so happened that my boss had been one of the first female editors on Fleet Street. She was doing this part-time because she had a busy family and basically she taught me everything. She was hardcore. She made me cry probably like once a month. Um, she was amazing. Sometimes when I'm editing copy, I can still hear her voice in my head shouting at me, um, which is not a bad thing. It sounds worse than it is, but it's actually really great because when I everything I know about editing and, and story crafting and narrative arcs and all of that stuff, um, she pretty much taught me. Um, Who was that? Uh, Tessa Hilton. Oh, yeah. Tessa Hilton. And she, you know... And I think those, as I said about the earlier guy, those people are really important along the way. And I think your first three to five years, it's really about learning your craft, learning page craft if you're going into magazines. Um, if you become a storyteller, how do you tell compelling stories? What makes a great narrative arc? What makes a great news story versus what makes a great feature? I think learning all of those things on the job is really important. And then you kind of get to hopefully apply them in a, in a magazine or a website or whatever, wherever your passion is, really. And so when you're uh, there and you, you're, you're on a work placement or you're an editorial assistant or maybe you're even a uh, secretary not, or some non-editorial role, you've got your foot in the door, what is it that um, uh, singles the person out who rapidly progresses from the person who stays in that role for a couple of years? I mean, what did you do to kind of get yourself noticed? I think I was really irritating because <laughs> I kind of like bugged everybody a lot and I tried to do it in a really unbuggy, that's not all real world, but I tried to do it as, as kind of nicely as possible, but I made it very known that I was ambitious, that I had ideas, that I had a passion for writing, that I wanted to edit, um, and I just took every single opportunity, so if somebody asked me to do something and it meant staying really late, um, then I would do that. I kind of did whatever was required of me, but I made my passion for media and for magazines especially known to anybody who would listen to me and I think people really respond to that I mean when it, whenever we get interns in and they genuinely just fucking love what we're doing and they love film journalism or they just love magazines that is kind of what you really want from somebody because that's what our industry is built on it's not built on money like really isn't built on money but not for us anyway but it's built on passion and excitement and you know just sheer love for what we do and when you see that reflected in somebody whether they are the PA, the secretary, the intern, or my deputy editor, that's kind of the thing that connects us all. And so if, um, you know, someone who's really passionate about film or music or, you know, whatever, how, how, how can you go from being a journalist who's passionate about film and music to a journalist who's actually earning a living, you know, writing about those sort of things? What, what can you do practically? I think... The thing about especially things like music and film, which are kind of a specialism in a way, having a, a really well-trained critical eye is really important. So before I went to Empire, I actually did more music reviewing than I did um, film reviewing. I, I still freelance for Q Magazine, which is one of my favourite other magazines apart from Empire. Um, I think developing your own critical eye, reading other critics, working out 
um, what you respond to, what you don't, um, is really important, I think, especially in those areas. That, you know, just telling a great story on a magazine like Empire isn't enough. You have to have a layer of, 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 of this critical eye, which enables you to, to be that filter that the reader needs to really tell them that this is the movie they need to care about, this is why. Um, so I think it, it can be difficult because I think that's the hardest thing for young journalists is to develop your own critical eye because often you either read other people's criticisms and you're trying to think how can I be like them or you're, you, you can be a little bit nervous about being the one to go out there and say Star Wars is shit, which it isn't by the way, but if you were to say that for example. Um, going against the grain before you've truly developed your own voice can be really daunting, I think. But I think as much practice as you can get reviewing for anywhere, really, whether it's, um, you know, college newspapers. I, I did arts criticism on the university newspaper, and then everywhere I've worked, I've tried to have a hand in that, and I've reviewed food and drink and theatre and all different things. But I think for those titles with those specialisms at their heart, that's really, really important. In practical terms, how do you go, how do you go about getting... I, get, I imagine Empire's a, a very well-established roster of uh, yeah. staff and freelance contributors who, who are probably big names in, in yeah. the field. But how, how, how would one go about approaching uh, yourself if they, if they wanted to perhaps write for Empire or wanted to at least come and do some work experience or, or an internship? Or, what would be the thing to do? So I process all, all internship applications myself because I think, you know, I think on other brands they're handled by, you know, often more junior members of the team. But I think, you know, I, I think it's you have to pay forward. You have to help the next generation of people come through. That's our responsibility. We were all given opportunities by other people. It's our job to pass those on and help other people. In terms of getting published in a brand like Empire, it is more difficult because we do usually take people with, you know, two... One, two, three decades worth of a film writing experience, but we're also always looking for new writers. I've been editing Empire for five months, and we're just going through a process of trying to find more women writers, trying to find younger writers. You know, Empire's a 27 year old brand. What that means is two thirds of, of the people writing for it have been writing for it for 27 years, which is great to have that authority and that legacy, but for a brand like Empire to stay relevant. A modern, exciting. You need to have fresh, new voices in the mix as well. So, there's less opportunity for brand new writers, but we're always interested in hearing from people who've got something truly interesting to say um, and say it in an interesting way. A well-crafted, really punchy, short idea with kind of a working headline. Um, I always like a head and a deck, um, just straight off the bat, because it, it shows me that that person really understands what the story is. Um, and a note on any visuals that could work with the story. Yeah, that's like a gift to an editor. I just, I just, just find it sort of on Empire, you know, hats off to you. It's uh, grown its print circulation. Um, you'd think it would be an incredibly tough market to do that in because there's so much on blogs and uh, social media for free online about film. If you're interested in the Star Wars film, you're watching trailers for months yeah. and months in advance and leaks from the set, etc., etc. So how, 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 how is it possible? And it costs, what, £3.80? £4.50. £4.50. How is it possible? How is it possible that, that it's uh, not just surviving but thriving as a print as well as a, a digital sure. title? I think, um, I think we need brands like Empire now more than we ever have because there is a lot of noise in the world, whether that comes from social or from blogs or, you know, we've, we've never had more content kind of thrust at us than ever before from lots of different places at once. Um, and while that's exciting, in some ways it can be really hard to cut through that noise. 
Um, and what we do offer, I think, is we're incredibly authoritative. Um, we really know our shit. Like, my writers, they will have a row for, like, three hours about who the DP was on Jaws 2 that never actually made it to the script. Like, it, these weird meta arguments that go on for, like, three hours. And they... They are brilliantly passionate about what they do. They are so well informed. They have some of the best contacts with filmmakers I've ever seen. Um, and so I think we we have a distinct voice. We have an authoritative voice. I think people, when there is so much noise, they want to know, actually, is that movie worth seeing? And they go to a source that they trust and that they believe knows them. And also, I think part of what I wanted to do at Empire was, this is a passion subject. This, this brand, on every touch point, whether it's social or digital or, or the print mag, that passion has to be on every page. And I think people really connect with that. We have an incredibly high subscriber base and we found that Empire readers tend to be Empire readers for life. And I think that's because we're like them. We love movies, we obsess over movies. Um, we want to talk to our mates about movies. Um, we want to know everything we can about something that we're really into at the time. And I think we're kind of just like the reader in that sense. And I think that passion is what brings them back time and time again. Can, can, you, be as, uh, can you be independently uh, editorially independent. I mean, that Star Wars comes out. I mean, crikey, such a, a big commercial proposition for the film industry. You know, what, what if what if your reviewer had got along and said, "Sorry, it's one star." It happens. <laughs> it, ha it, it and it has happened since I've been there. Yeah. Like we we get excited about the movies that we genuinely believe our readers want to go and see. However, we have a team of critics, and if if a critic goes to see it and says it's a two star film, it's a two star film. Like we would never ever, and I'm very strict on this, ever, ever massage a star review, bump it up a little bit to try and please a studio or a film PR, that's not what we're in the business of, because our relationship with our audience is based entirely on authority. They start to think we're kind of, you know, putting stars on and off willy-nilly to please other people. The growth you're talking about would start to decline because people would not buy into what we were selling. Um, so that's something I fiercely, fiercely defend, as do the team. And I think, you know, filmmakers and studios want us to be honest. They want us, because otherwise none of it means anything. A positive review doesn't mean anything. A five-star review is suddenly nonsense. Um, so I find that a really easy line to draw, because here's a movie we're excited about. We're going to tell you about how this film was made. Then, separately, here's our critical review of the film. Those two things are completely different. Because some film reviewers uh, do, do rather massage, you know? I mean, some people will. So I hear. Will, some people will put stuff, you know, high stars to get on the poster and even say something wonderful to uh, to be on yeah. that poster. I mean, the good thing is Empire's not in that position of having yeah. to do that. We don't need the publicity. We don't need, yeah. you know, we have great relationships with studios and that's and filmmakers directly, and that's based on honesty and trust. And they know we share their passion. And I would be very surprised if any of them ever asked us to like change anything or expect us to. I think they respect us more than that. And what's been your best moment as editor so far? Did you, have you got to like, sit in the uh, cockpit of the uh, Millennium Falcon or anything? Or <laughs> Unfortunately, not like my job. I'm the one bloody stuck in the office. That's the, they all go, we've got, somebody's on this set of, oh, I can't say, somebody's on this set of something really exciting at the moment and he keeps emailing me. I'm like, stop emailing me unless it's about work because I am sat in Holborn. Um, so I suppose, actually, the best moment was what the day our Star Wars issues came out. It was a huge... Huge event, they'd been in the works for two and a half years, so I kind of came in at the tail end, took all the glory, that's how it works. Um, and it was just incredible to see the reaction. We did six lenticular covers, we did a special Kylo Ren figurine cover. Um, um, they were 
holographic, weren't holographic, they? so you move them, and it, and you know, we put the price up to five pounds fifty, which we thought was a risk, but we still had our biggest sale in three years, and to see the way that people people went mad for them, and to see how it exploded on social, and how people people were taking pictures of them on the newsstands, it was. That, that for me is ultimately, unfortunately, sitting in the cockpit of the Millennium Falcon isn't really what it's about, but for me the bigger thrill is, yeah. is that moment of seeing somebody holding your magazine, genuinely loving it. I was on a train to Babington House recently and a guy opposite me, I was on, on a phone call to a studio, I put the phone down and he goes, oh, I'm so sorry to overhear, but I was, Are you, do you work for Empire? And I said, oh yeah, and he goes... I bought four copies of your Star Wars issue. I read every single... And they were all the same inside. I, I read all four. I went to see the movie three times. It's amazing. And I was like, that's why I do what I do. That's not for the jollies, not for the nice... Not for any of that. It's for that moment of that guy genuinely loved that magazine. And that's kind of the perfect moment. Download the next Press Gazette Journalism Matters podcast in two weeks' time.